not sure if this lectern is going to fall over or not on Friday. We had a bit of a mishap. We, we went to move it and the whole thing came off. So this morning, before we got uh, just when we got here, we were gluing it frantically, hoping that it's set. So if it does fall through the table, then I apologize this morning. <laughs> but uh, it's great to see all of you today. And this morning, we're going to continue a series that we've been going through on a Sunday morning. And the series is called A New Beginning. We've been going through the book of Joshua. It's a journey that we've been going through in the book of Joshua. And this is the sixth message in our series. And if you're taking notes today, then the title of the message is Preparing for Victory. Preparing for Victory. So if you've got a Bible this morning, can you turn to Joshua chapter 5? Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to just read from verse 1 to 9. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1 to 9. Preparing for Victory. And it says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gilbeth Haraloth. Now this is why he did this is why he did so. All of those who came out of Egypt, all the men of the military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness forty years until all the men who were of military age when they had left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. Then, Joshua, then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Now last week I was taking my brother Nat to school. I take him on a Thursday to school. I drive him down to school on my way to work. And last week we were just having a, a chat in the car. And he was telling me how excited he is to, to learn to drive. He's not far off learning to drive. And he was excited to, to get behind the wheel. And when he was talking to me about this, I, got, I, I, I had a flashback remembering how excited I was for my 17th birthday. On my 17th birthday, my parents bought me a block of 10 driving lessons. And, you know, I couldn't, couldn't wait to hit the open road. Some of my friends, they had passed their test. They found that freedom. They were coming back early hours in the morning. They were going here, there, and everywhere. And I just couldn't wait to get behind the wheel and drive. I couldn't wait to pass my test. And after about five or six lessons of going with my instructor, I thought that I was ready. I couldn't wait any longer. I just wanted to pass my test. I wanted to get it over and done with so I could just go out with my friends and come back any hours in the morning and just have a laugh with my friends. So I asked my instructor, I said, can I book my test? And he told me, he was like, yeah, go for it. Why not, Luke? He said, the waiting list is quite long, so, so you might as well book it, and, and by that time, you'll be ready for your test. So the weeks went by, and finally it came to the big day. 
the day that I had waited for. I thought this was the day that I that, that it was destined for me. I thought this was it. But heading over to Merthyr to the test centre, I was really nervous. I was I was really nervous heading over there. But you know, my instructor, he was giving me some final words of, of encouragement. He was trying to calm me down. He was getting me ready. I didn't have a clue what he was saying, but uh, I knew his, the tone of his voice was calming me down anyway. And I was trying to remember everything that, me, that he had taught me. However, something in the back of my mind was kept on saying, you're not quite ready for this. You're going to fail today. You're not quite ready for this test. And it didn't help when I arrived in the test centre that I found out that the guy who was testing me with the testing me was called the Terminator. I know <laughs> he had this nickname. Everyone who goes with him ends up uh, failing their test. Funnily enough, Chloe had the Terminator and he passed her first time. But uh, <laughs> so we headed out. I went with the Terminator. He was by my side. I was there shaking like a leaf behind the, the wheel of the car. Everything was going fine until about ten minutes in. When we came to read a car roundabout, I'm sure many of you know read a car roundabout, and all of you from Merthyr know that roundabout. It's a fantastic roundabout, isn't it? And the Terminator, he said to me, when you're ready, just pull out. When you're ready, you can go, go for it. For some reason or another, I waited until I could see a taxi come in quite quick around the bend, and I decided that that was the perfect moment that I would go out and pull out and head out. So this taxi started coming, I pulled out, the, the instructor, the Terminator, he slammed on the brakes. I thought, right, this is, this is great, this is going really well. I nearly killed the Terminator. Chloe, you might not have passed your test if I had killed him on that day. But I decided that that was the right moment. At the end of the test, I remember the Terminator handed me the sheet. And on that sheet, I seen 10 minors and one major. I thought a major was great until he told me, no, you failed your test. It's actually awful, you, don't, you can't have any majors. So that was one of the worst days of my life. I thought I'd spent this time, my parents had spent this money, and now I failed this test. So my parents, being the kind people they are, they decided that they wouldn't pay for any more driving lessons for me. But instead, they bravely took it upon their shoulders that they were going to take me out, that they would insure me on the car, and then they would take me out, and, and I would learn to drive with them. Now, I, I went out with them for a few months, and... And my father's relationship uh, uh, and mine had become a little tense. There was quite a bit of tension. There was a few times we had had to pull over and I threatened that I'd walk home. And, you know, we had a lovely relationship and a great time in the car driving together. But, you know, after a few months of going with them, I realised that the first time that I'd sat my test, I wasn't ready. I hadn't prepared properly, properly. But now after going with my parents... I felt like I was ready. They had told me that I had to drive everywhere, so I would drive them to school, to work, down to church. I was ready, and I felt I was ready. So finally, after nine months of learning, I booked my second test. I thought, I'm going for it this time. But this time, I felt equipped for the test. And that time, I passed my test. My dad was there at the gate. He had the card ready. I was like, yes, I've done it. I finally passed the test. I've, I've got it. I can drive. I'm able to drive. And that was one of the greatest days, one of the happiest days of my life at that time. But you know, when I look back at that day, the reason that I passed, as I said, was because I'd had proper preparation for that test. I was finally ready for that test. The first time, I thought I was ready, but I was just eager. That wasn't the right moment. And if I had passed the test the first time, then I could have been a danger on the road. And who knows what would have happened. But that second time, I was ready. I was prepared. I knew what I was doing. 
Now we see something similar happening in Joshua chapter 5. They weren't driving then, as we've just said. They weren't going for the test. But they, we see that there's a preparation period for the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 5. Now the nation of Israel, they just crossed over safely the river Jordan. They just passed through the river Jordan. It was a great miracle as we heard last time. God parted the river Jordan and about a million people crossed over from the one side of the river Jordan into the promised land. This land which God said that his people was for. This land where the people of God would make their home. This land which was flowing with milk and honey. This incredible land. They were now in the promised land. It was a great miracle that day. And the Bible says that the people who were occupying the land, the enemies of the people of God, they were terrified because they knew that God was working on the behalf of his people, that God had done incredible things for the people of Israel and that he was on their side. So the Canaanites who were already in the land, they were terrified of the people of Israel. Of, of Israel. Now you would have expected Joshua, the leader of the people of Israel, you would have expected him to mobilize the army and say, right, now is the time where we're going to start attacking the different towns, where we're going to take this land for ourselves. We feel, you would have thought that this was the opportune time for them to attack the city of Jericho, which we read about a little later on. After all, the people of Israel, they were united in following the Lord. All the people of Israel trusted in God. They were all following God. And more than that, the people in the land, they were paralyzed by fear. So you would have thought, naturally, this is the time. We're going to start taking the cities. Now we're in the promised land. We're going to start taking the cities and take the land that God has promised for us. From a human point of view, this was a perfect time for the people of God to act. But you know, we read in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8 to 9, that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Joshua, he was getting his instructions from the Lord and not from the military experts. Joshua didn't want to do this in and of his own strength. He wanted to obey the Lord. And when God said to go, then he and the people would go. Now the nation, the people of Israel, they crossed over the river Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And these events described in, in Joshua chapter 5, they took about at least 10 days. And then after that, the people of Israel marched around Jericho for about six more days. So God waited over two weeks before giving his people victory in the land. Before the people had a victory in the land, they had to wait two weeks to have their first victory. Why did God make them wait two weeks before they were to conquer Jericho? Why did they have to wait on the banks of the River Jordan? Why did they, they were in the land, but why did they have to wait two weeks before they had that first victory? And the reason is because God's people must be prepared before they can be trusted with victory. We must be prepared and ready before we can be trusted with the victory that God can give us. Now the great American president, Abraham Lincoln, he once said, Give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening my axe. Preparation is key. Preparation is vital before we can see the victory. Now the triumphant conquest of the land was to be the victory of God. It was to be the victory of God and Him alone, not the people of Israel. The victory was not to be Joshua's victory so he could boast about it, but the victory was to be God's and God's alone. And we see here in this passage that there are three steps of preparation that is needed before God would give His people 
victory. There's three steps that the people had to prepare for, three steps that they had to take before they were ready to go and attack Jericho. So this morning, we're going to just look at the first step that the people of Israel needed to take before they had that victory. Now, we read about it there in, in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1 to 9. The first step that they had to take before they defeated Jericho was they had to renew the Lord's covenant. They had to renew the Lord's covenant. You might say, what, what on earth is that? Well, after triumphantly crossing the Jordan River, the nation, they had to pause and wait at this place called Gilgal. While the men there, they had to submit themselves to painful surgery. I can hear the yelps of all the men in the place this morning. They had to be circumcised before they went any further into the land. But why at this specific moment in time did God order the men, all the men, to be circumcised? Why at this specific time were they, did they have to be circumcised? Well, there were three reasons for that. The first reason is they had to restore that covenant relationship with God. Because you see, Israel... The people of God, they were a covenant nation, a privilege that God had given to no other nation, that they were God's people, that they had a relationship with the living God, that God had a plan and the purpose for his people. They had a covenant relationship with God. And God had given this covenant to Abraham when he first called him out from this place called the Ur of Chaldees. And he sealed that covenant with a sacrifice. And God he had given circumcision as the sign of the covenant to Abraham and his descendants. What a painful sign, isn't it? What a painful sign. But other nations in that day, they would practice circumcision. But the ritual, it didn't carry any spiritual meaning for other religions or for other people. But it carried a significant spiritual meaning for the Jews. Circumcision carried a, spirit, a, a powerful meaning for the Jews. And it was a sign that they were a marked people, that they were a chosen people, that they were a loved people by God, that they were a people who were set apart for God and for God alone. It was a sign that they belonged to the true and living God. And this meant that they were under an obligation to obey God as well. The mark of the covenant, this circumcision, was a sign that reminded them that their bodies belonged to the Lord. And their bodies weren't to be used for sinful purposes. They weren't to live how they wanted to live. They weren't to indulge in any way that they wanted to indulge. But they were to live and make themselves live in sacrifices to God. They were surrender, to surrender themselves to God. Because we know this morning that there's no greater privilege that we have than to live for God. For God has a greater plan than we can ever come up with. God has the best plan for our lives. He is able to do things in our lives that we have never imagined or dreamed of. It was a privilege for the people. Also, the people of Israel, they were surrounded by people who would worship idols, who would worship other gods, who were into all sensual things and degrading things. They were surrounded by all this temptation. And so this mark, this circumcision, this mark of the covenant reminded the Jews that they were a special people. They were not to be like the rest of the people of the world who were involved in all these horrible, degrading things, but that they were called by God, that God had a specific plan and purpose for them. That they were a separated people. They were a holy people. And that they were to maintain their purity. They were to be an example to the people around them in marriage. They were to be an example to people in their society. They were to be an example in the worship of their God. You know, we too today, 
we to be an example to the world around us. The world around us is so lost in sin. They're lost and dead in sin. And we as the people of God, we have found this living hope. We as the people of God, we are to be an example to them in marriage. Showing them what God intended for marriage. That marriage is a great thing between two people. That it is God's promise for people. We are to be an example in worshipping our God and not worshipping other things. Many people today worship money, they worship material things, they worship all these different things. But we are to be an example in worshipping our God. That it is no greater privilege for us than to worship the living God who has done so much for us and has got so much for us. Now we see here that the Jews, they've not practiced circumcision during their wandering. They've been, they've been delivered from Egypt. God had brought them through the Red Sea. But the people of Israel, they began to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And they hadn't practiced circumcision. 38 years before, Kadesh Barnea, they refused to believe in God and enter into the land that God promised them. So they ended up wandering around this wilderness for 40 years. They were right on the cusp of all that God had promised them. They were ready to enter the land, but for some reason they didn't believe in God. And as a result of that, they never entered into the promised land. And God disciplined them, and they had to wander around this promised land. And they had to wait until the older generation who didn't believe in God had died off. Apart from two people, Josh, uh, apart from Caleb and Joshua. They were the two people. But during that time when they were wandering around, God, he had suspended his covenant relationship with Israel. He had paused it. He put it on pause. And he decided all the males aren't going to be circumcised at this time. None of the males, none of the children to be circumcised. You know, the incredible thing is that even though God paused his covenant, he still provided for his people in the wilderness. He was still loving them. He still cared for his people. He provided food for them. He provided all that they needed, even though they didn't believe in him, even though he had posed that covenant temporarily. But now we see in Joshua chapter 5 that this new generation had risen up, this new generation who once again believed in God, this new generation who trusted in their God, this new generation, and now they had stepped into their inheritance. Now they had stepped into the promised land, into the land that God had given their people. And now they were in this land. And it was important for them at this time to renew that covenant once again. To say, yeah, God, we are your people. We're in this new land that you have given us. And we want to make that sign that we are your people. We still trust in you. We still believe in you. We're still going to follow you. Now, the people in the wilderness, they, when they were wandering around the, the wilderness, they were tempted to sin. And how much more would they be tempted to sin now they were in this new land? Surrounded by pagan people, people who were worshipping other gods, people who were involved in all sorts of immoral practices, they would be tempted to sin. And so they decided before we get going, before we conquer the land, before we have our first victory, God decided it's time to start that covenant again. So you remember, so that you don't fall away, so that you're not tempted to sin, that we do this circumcision right here, right now, that you remember that you're my people. That it is this land that I have brought you into. That it is me who has brought all these incredible things into you. You know, later on we see future generations. They forgot about this covenant. They forgot about this. But why? Why did God choose circumcision? Why this physical... Why did they have to go through this physical operation? Why did they have to go through this? Well, this physical operation on the body. It was meant to be a symbol of a spiritual operation on the heart. You know, it says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16, it says, circumcise your hearts therefore, 
and do not be a stiff-necked people any longer. You know, we know today, and we realize, thank God we're under the new covenant. We're not under the old covenant. But we thank God this morning that no external surgery can change the inner person. You know, no, ma no matter how, what performance we put on, no matter how great we look, no matter what we do on a Sunday, you know, we can even come to church and put on a mask and hold up our hands and pray and say everything is great and pretend to be Christians and all this. But no amount of what we do, no matter what we do externally, that can't change us internally. Our God transforms us from the inside out. He changes us from the inside out. And no amount of external surgery can change the inner, inner person. You know, it's only when we repent and when we come before God and we surrender our lives and thank Him for all that He has done, it's only then can He change our hearts. It's only then can He begin to transform us when we come before Him and say, God, I know what I am. I'm a sinner. I'm condemned that I deserve eternal punishment. But thank you that you sent your son to die for me. I turn away from my sin. I put my trust in you. It is only then that God can begin to change, change our hearts. It's only then and only by God that we can love God more. That we can begin to obey him more by the help of his Holy Spirit. We can't conjure that up in ourselves. We need the help of God. But it's when we come with repentant hearts, then he begin, can begin to change us and transform us. So the first reason that they did that, the first reason that they had, that they were to be circumcised was to restore that covenant relationship. The second reason why they were to be set, uh, circumcised, I'm going to go through these quickly. The second reason was to test their faith. It was to test their faith. We read in verse 8 of chapter 5 in Joshua, it says, And after the whole nation had, uh, had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. Now the people of Israel, they were camped in enemy territory. They were in enemy territory. They were only a few miles away from Jericho. But now they were going to temporarily disable every male in the nation, including every army soldier. They were going to temporarily disable all of these men. Now you think this, this would be an incredible opportunity for the enemy to come to destroy the people of God and to attack the people of God and wipe them out. But you know, it took incredible faith from Joshua and the people to obey the Lord. That even though they were going to temporarily disable the men and every soldier, that they knew God would protect them, that God would keep them safe from the enemy's harm. I know we see that the people they did there, they trusted God. And as a result of that, they passed the test. The people had faith to obey God. Even though this act, this act gave great evidence that they would obey his orders and they could now march into land. You know, after we've experienced an exciting victory of faith, God often allows us to be tested. God had brought them through the River Jordan, but now they were to be tested. They were going to be vulnerable. They had to circumcise every man, and they were going to be temporarily disabled, and the enemies kept attacked. They had this victory, but now God was testing them. Have you ever found that in your spiritual life? That you have this incredible great victory. God answers prayers. Something happens in your life. God does a miracle in your life. And then all of a sudden you find yourself being tested. You feel like the enemy is coming against you. You feel like everything is coming against you. After a great incredible victory. You know we see that Elijah in the Bible. He, he overcame the prophets of Baal. We see God do incredible things on the Mount of Carmel. But then after that we see he's threatened with death. Even Jesus himself, our ultimate example, at his baptism, 
the Holy Spirit comes upon him. But then straight after his baptism, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself. Why does God do that? Why after great victories do we then find ourselves facing tests and difficulty? It is because victories can often lead to pride. Victories can lead for us boasting of ourselves. We can take our focus off God. And God allows us to be tested in order to remind us we still need to depend on him. We still need to trust on him. The God who give us that victory, we still need to trust him in the, in the test, in the trials. We need to trust in him. You know, there was a Scottish preacher named Andrew Bonner, and he used to say, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. We need to be as watchful after the victory and before the battle. We need to trust in our God. We need to depend on him. Let's not get, let pride take us or carry us away, but let us be a people who keep trusting in our God. So it was to test their faith that they were to be circumcised. And finally, the last reason why they were to be circumcised, it was to remove their shame. It was to remove their shame. You might say, what shame? Well, we go back to Joshua 5 and read verse 9. It says, that the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Now what was the reproach of Egypt? What on earth is that? Well, some suggest that this means that the shame of being slaves in Egypt, that was their shame, that they had to be slaves in Egypt. But you know, it wasn't Israel's fault that this new Pharaoh had turned against them. That wasn't actually their shame. The Jews were in Egypt because God had sent them there, not because they were disobedient or because they turned away from God. It's also been suggested that this reproach of Egypt refers to the nation's shame because they worshipped idols in Egypt. And they began to turn to idols in, when they were wandering around in the wilderness. But now we see that all the generation who worshipped idols uh, in Egypt and in the wilderness, they had now died away. This was a new generation, a young generation, and they couldn't be blamed for the sins of their fathers. They were a people who now believed in God. But you know, I actually think, as, as, as it says there in Joshua chapter 5, verse 9, about the reproach of Egypt, I think that the reproach of Egypt actually refers to the ridicule that they were getting for wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. The enemies would ridicule them for wandering around, for, for failing to step into all that God had for them, for step, failing to step into the promised land. You know, Kadesh Barnea, Moses, he appealed to God when God said he would destroy Israel. But you know, Moses didn't want the Egyptians to spread the word that the God of Israel couldn't finish what he had started. Thank God our God is a God who finishes what he starts. The God who starts a work and us finishes that work. And Moses didn't want that to be the burden of his people. He didn't want them to carry around this shame that wherever they went, oh, you're the people who didn't enter into the promise. You're the people who spent all that time wasted in the wilderness. He didn't want that to happen. But Israel's sin at Kadesh Barnea, that was their shame. The enemies would mock them because of that. But now, in Joshua chapter 5, we see they're now in the promised land. The nation was actually in the promised land, the land that God had promised them. They captured the enemy territory east to the Jordan River. And now their people were occupying the land. They were in the promise that God had promised their people. They crossed the Jordan River and now they were ready to take the promised land. They were ready to take Jericho. They were ready for every conquest. No matter what 
the Egyptians or other nations had said about Israel because of their sin, the shame was now completely gone. This was a new generation and they were finally in the promise. So they couldn't be bound by that shame of the past failings of their fathers and the previous generations. They couldn't be bound by that anymore. They were in the land. They were in the promise. And now that circumcision, it bore the mark. That mark of the covenant bore the mark and it reminded them that they belonged to God. That they were a people, they were a son, a daughter of the covenant, and now they were in that land, and that land was theirs ready to possess. You know, what about us today? How does this affect all of us who are here right now? What about us today who might be filled with shame because of past mistakes? Maybe you've come here this morning because of past mistakes. Maybe you feel filled with shame because of what somebody else has done, a previous generation has done, and you still carry that shame on your shoulders. Maybe you come in here this morning just so heavy, uh, weighed down with shame this morning because you failed in some way or another. What happens to us then? We might feel shame this morning. Well, thank goodness this morning that Jesus removes the shame that sin can bring. Jesus is the only one who can remove the shame that sin can bring. You know, like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, all of us are prone to hide in shame because of foolish choices that we make. We all make foolish choices, don't we? Even I make foolish choices. We mess up on times. We get things wrong on times. We do things that we shouldn't do on times. And we, we can almost hide away in shame. We can put on masks. We can pretend everything's okay. We can avoid coming to church maybe because we've messed up. We can af- avoid entering into God or praying or spending time reading the word of God because we've done something wrong. You know, shame causes people to try and cover their sin with all sorts of things. People try to behave better. They try to have good behavior. People should try to cover their shame and their sin by performing religiously, by coming week in, week out, and nothing ever changes. But I want you to know this morning, I believe God wants us to know, Jesus offers a better way. By accepting his free gift of salvation, it's a free gift. By offering his free gift of salvation, men, women, boys, girls, everywhere, can embrace the good news that Jesus has taken away our shame forever. He's taken away our shame on the cross. He was spat at. He was ridiculed. He took our shame upon himself on that cross so that we could be free from shame. I love what it says in Romans. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to be shameful this morning. We are free this morning if we put our faith and our trust in God. In spite of our sin, we are loved this morning. We are accepted and declared holy this morning. And this declaration is not based on our works. It is not based on what we have done or our good efforts. But it is based upon what Jesus did for us. It is all because of him. It is all because of his works. It is not because of our moral goodness. It is not because we're nice or we're kind. Or we come to church week in, week out. We can be forgiven. We are loved this morning. All because Jesus was obedient. All because of what he did for us on the cross. And now this morning... As believers, as Christians, we can experience a far greater circumcision than the people did in Joshua. One that is not done with human hands to the external body, but one that is done by God himself to our heart. We are forgiven. We are God's people this morning. We don't have to do that external operation this morning. And I can hear all the men saying amen to that this morning. 
We are forgiven this morning. We are clean. We belong to God all because of Jesus, all because of what he has done. And if we put our faith and our trust in him, we can know that relationship. We can know that forgiveness. We can know that freedom from sin and from shame. We can know that plan and that purpose that God has for our lives. We can know that healing that we've been needing. We can know that deliverance that we've been needing. We can know that our God is for us and that he is not against us all because of what Jesus has done. Thank God this morning for Jesus. There is a greater circumcision that can be done and it is done by God himself to our hearts. As we come to a conclusion, it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 to 29, a person is not a Jew who is, only, who is, one, who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Nor a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not written by the court. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Paul was telling the Romans they exactly the same thing. That we are God's people, not because of any religious operation that we do, or religious tradition that we obey. We can be God's people if we just simply put our faith and trust in our God. And we can be forgiven, we can be clean. We are reminded that we are God's people. We are chosen this morning. As Pastor Rob used to say, we are accepted this morning. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are God's people this morning. All because of what Jesus has done for us. And all we have to do is put our faith and our trust in Him. Simply ask Him to be our Lord and Savior. Or we can know the greater circumcision. This was the first step that the people of Israel had to pay for before they were ready for victory. This was the first thing. They had to renew the covenant that they got. They had to remember, yeah, we are God's people. Before they had any victory, they had to be reminded, we are God's people. We belong to God and God alone. And next week, we're going to look at the final two steps that they needed to prepare for before taking their victory. Shall we pray? And maybe this morning, you, you've come here and You've heard about Jesus, you've heard how much he loves you and how he went to that cross to die for you, to die for your sin. He took the punishment that you deserved. He bore your shame, my shame, so that we could be forgiven, that we can have a relationship with this living God, so that we can have eternal life, that we can have this living hope. And maybe you've come here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. While everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if you'd like to know Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, we'd like to have that living relationship with God. And while everyone's got a head bowed and their eyes closed, just lift up a hand as an indication to me and take it back down again. And then I'll say a prayer that you can say in your heart this morning, quietly in your heart this morning. Is there anyone here? I'm just going to wait a moment. Do you want to find God for yourself? Do you want to know Him? Do you want to discover that plan and purpose that He has for your life? Do you want to know eternal life? Is there anyone here this morning? It's a free gift. Is there anyone here? I'll just take a moment. Just lift up that hand, take it down again. Pray for you, and you can pray that in your heart. Maybe this morning we're all believers, but maybe you've come here this morning. Maybe you just come here filled with shame because you've maybe messed up. Maybe this week, maybe something you've done in the past. Maybe something you're carrying some a shame of someone else from the past. But maybe you come and you're just filled with shame. This morning you can know that Jesus took your shame upon the cross. So you could be free. Know this morning that you are his chosen, that you are accepted. If you are here this morning and 
you'd like to be prayed for, and you, you are filled with the shame, but you'd like to know the release of our response. Just lift up a hand again and take it down again. I can pray for you. Thank God this morning that Jesus said his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Follow in him. We don't have to be burdened by the things of this world, by shame. We can know forgiveness. We can know freedom this morning. Is there anyone here? Just lift up a hand. Take it down again. There's no judgment, no embarrassment. Anyone here? Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that we can find life in you. Lord, we thank you this morning for even the circumcision that's been done to our hearts, Lord God. Lord, we thank you that, Lord Jesus, we can belong to you, Lord, not because of anything that we have done, but Lord, it is all because of what you have done. We thank you for this relationship. We thank you this morning that we have been reminded that we are yours, that we are your people, that you've got a plan and the purpose for us, that we have a hope in you this morning, Lord. And Lord, it is all because of you. And Lord, I do pray for anyone here this morning who has come in filled with shame. Lord, I pray, lift that shame this morning. We thank you that you took our shame upon the cross. That we can find freedom in you, hope in you, love in you, Lord God. We thank you this morning that there is no condemnation for us who belong to you. So Lord, I pray, lift that shame this morning, Lord God. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we want to praise you for all that we have, you have done. We thank you that we are your people and we belong to you. Amen.